Our pericope of scripture this evening is Psalm 84. Psalm 84. After hearing some of the names of the church in the old dispensation, when it was apostatizing, Sodom and Gomorrah, a harlot, corruptors, how beautiful had this view of the invisible church of Christ Jesus. How amiable. Boys and girls, that word means how lovely. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath founded house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them who, passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Let us go to Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Last week we looked at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but the Apostles' Creed looks also at the work of the Holy Spirit, namely the church, working forgiveness in our hearts, and the hope of everlasting life. Tonight I only want to look at question and answers 54 and 55. What believest thou concerning the Holy Catholic Church of Christ? Answer, that's the Son of God. From the beginning to the end of the world, gathers, defends, and preserves to himself by his spirit and word, out of the whole human race, a church chosen to everlasting life agreeing in true faith, and that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. 
question 55, what do you understand by the communion of saints first? That all and everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common partakers of him in all his riches and gifts. Secondly, that everyone must know that it is his duty readily and cheerfully to employ his gifts for the advantage and the salvation of other members. Now before you close your Psalters, if you would also turn to page 48, I want to read the article on the Catholic Christian Church, Article 27. We believe and profess one Catholic or universal church, which is a holy congregation of true Christian believers, all expecting their salvation in Christ Jesus, being washed by his blood, sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. This church hath been from the beginning of the world and will be to the end thereof, which is evident from this, that Christ is an eternal king, which without subjects he cannot be. And this holy church is preserved or supported by God against the rage of the whole world, though she sometimes, for a while, appears very small, and in the eyes of men to be reduced to nothing, as during the perilous reign of Ahab, the Lord reserved unto him 7,000 men who had not bowed their knees to Baal. Furthermore, this holy church is not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or to certain persons, but is spread and dispersed over the whole world and yet is joined and united with heart and will by the power of faith in one and the same spirit. I ask this question to you yourselves and to myself. What does it mean to be a member of Christ church? Is the church institute important to you? There are those who say, I only need Christ, I don't need the church. But we read from our confessions that there is no salvation apart from the church. Christ gathers a church. The Old Testament word kahal means a gathering. Or the New Testament word ecclesia. Gathering or a called out, called out from the world and called unto Christ Jesus. There is one organic whole. I believe in a, that means one, holy, Catholic, and from the Belgian Confession, Christian Church. I believe in A. There's a whole family there. 
In other words, the church is not a mere group of individuals who happen to come together on Sunday, listen to a sermon, sing songs, and then individually go back into their homes. But we come here as a member of a family here in the local manifestation of the church. And the local manifestation is a manifestation of the invisible church of Christ Jesus. There's one church, for there is one bride for Christ Jesus. There is one beautiful temple being built with one palace. There is one city, the city of Zion. There is the vineyard where there's the precious fruit. There is the wheat field where also at times there's tares that grow up in it, only to be weeded out later on when Christ comes again. What beautiful symbols there are of the church. And we read in the catechism that it is gathered. Gathered by Christ Jesus. And this gathering is an object of faith, isn't it? We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We do not believe in the church. For faith is only and trust is only to be put in God. The church is fallible and has been fallible many times over and over again when God causes a reformation to have them return to himself. So we don't believe in the church, but we believe that there is this one holy, universal, Christian church. The bride of Christ Jesus waiting for the banquet table when Christ has all his own gathered with him in the new heavens and the new earth. I believe that there is such a church. It's a matter of faith and not of sight. Because by sight, I see quite often the church divided. And I find the church not living harmoniously together, but rather biting each other and devouring each other. Divided because of sin. Sin so that there's schisms in the church. And we've known those in our history, haven't we? Divided because the church goes apostate and unwilling to return to the Lord, one must pull oneself out of that to find a church that is the most pure, where we will hear the word of God purely proclaimed, where the sacraments are properly administered, and where Christian discipline is exercised. One church. One church that is holy. <coughs> and you say, how can I say that? How can we say that? Haven't we seen a lot of ugly, unholy things? 
abuse of women and children and of men in the church by church leaders, by husbands in the home, by teachers. You call that holy? Not a holiness of ourself. But it is a holy church because she is given the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Because she is washed of her filthy rags and she is dressed with that dazzling white garment of Christ's righteousness. Righteous and holy in Christ Jesus. Isn't that the way that the apostle addresses the church, even some of the churches that had real problems in them? Think a moment of the Corinthian church, but how does he address them? To the saints that are in Corinth. Holy. It is universal. Not just Dutch shoes. Not just here. Not just one denomination. Where the Roman Catholic Church wants to say it is the only church. As Protestant Reformed churches, we would never, never, never say that we're the only ones being saved. We're just a little part of the church, aren't we? A small segment of that church gathered from all the different countries, speaking different languages, different denominations. Christian churches. That means those who look to Christ believe in Christ Jesus, cling to him for their salvation those who know themselves as sinners and then need that salvation that Christ alone gives and also confessing that there's no other way, there's no other religion by which anyone can come to the Father but then by Christ Jesus. Yes, boys and girls, when we say every Sunday evening, I believe and holy Catholic Church, as the Belgic Confession so beautifully brings out in Article 27, that word Catholic means universal. All over the world, God gathering his church. And then the Nicene Creed adds one more attribute of the church. Do you know what that is? The Apostles' Creed doesn't have that word in it. And apostolic church. What does that mean? It means the church at Pentecost was instructed by the eyewitnesses of Christ Jesus, whom Christ Jesus showed himself to even after his death and resurrection, who taught Jesus Christ, who taught those. Men, so that they could bring God's infallible, inspired word to us. 
In other words, we don't depart from the scriptures. We don't say, let us each try to find our own way to God or discover from the Bible what is true or what is not. But we follow the confessions of the church that are built upon the teachings, that foundation of the apostles. I believe. I entitled my sermon, The Beauty of belonging to the church. That's important, and I'm going to get into that. Just to believe that there is a church would not be a very comforting thing. But it is the knowledge that by God's grace, you and I are made living members of that church. So the beauty of belonging to the church, notice first of all the idea of the church. Second of all then, the privilege of church membership. And thirdly, the duties of church membership. We read there that this church is gathered. What believest thou concerning the holy Catholic Church of Christ that the Son of God, from the beginning to the end of the world, (coughs) gathers? We'll get into the other words, also defends and preserves, but he gathers to himself by his Spirit and his Word out of the whole human race a church chosen to everlasting life. So I want to emphasize, what is the church? It is the gathering by Jesus Christ, not of whoever wants to become a member of the church. By ourselves, none of us would. Not in our sinful nature. And it is not the case that Christ offers himself to everyone and the church is made up of whoever is willing to come. But Christ gathers only those whom God has chosen in eternity. That's what those words mean from the catechism. The Son of God from the beginning to the end of the world gathers, by a spirit and word, a church chosen to everlasting life. Chosen by God. Chosen by God and given to Christ Jesus. Christ came into the world to save them. And to save them to the uttermost. And to save them alone. Those whom God has chosen and given to him. Not those who are better than others. Not those who deserve to be chosen. Let there never be that kind of pride in our hearts as somehow we're better than others. We're wretched sinners like everyone else and it's only the grace of God in his sovereign election that we are made sons and daughters of God. Chosen by God's unmerited grace. We didn't earn it. Our works don't deserve it, but sovereignly determined. Every member of that church, 
known by God from eternity. And by known, I mean loved by God in eternity. And therefore he gave them to Christ Jesus. The doctrine of election is the heart, isn't it, of the church? Why are you, why am I here? Because of God's sovereign election. Amazing. That God saves wretched sinners like us as we sing in that song, Amazing Grace. Those chosen are gathered by Christ because he has purchased them with his precious blood. What that means is there is a particular atonement. Jesus is not a well-meaning Savior who wants to save everyone if only they're willing to, because then he would really be a failure, wouldn't he? Because most of humanity continues in their sin. Do not want him. Our Savior is not a failure. He came into this world and he laid down his life, he says, for my sheep. I know those who are mine and I give myself for them. Purchased. Purchased because they had sinned grievously and there is a debt now to pay. For the soul that sinneth it shall die. And our Lord Jesus died that death for us, purchased by his precious, precious blood. And so it is the relationship here of the church. It is those who belong to Christ, who have been united to Christ, but we're going to get to that in a second, and therefore are united to one another because we are many members of the one body of Christ. Chosen by God, purchased by Jesus Christ, and gathered by Christ by his spirit and by his word. It's a calling of God, isn't it? Not an offer, but it is an effectual, it's a powerful call of God where we are drawn irresistibly to Christ Jesus when the gospel is preached to us, Christ Jesus is set before you and me in all of his splendor and love. <coughs> you young boys, young people, you get to know a young girl. And the more you get to know that young girl and you see her various characteristics, her splendor, you fall head over heels in love. That's how God brings young men and young ladies together in his church. Likewise, the Holy Spirit comes with the word of God and he sets before us in God's word our Christ. And when we hear who Christ is, when we hear of what Christ has done, when we look at where Christ is 
and what Christ is still going to do as doing right now, you and I cannot help but fall irresistibly in love with him. That's how we're called and gathered. The Apostle Paul brings us to that in Romans chapter 10, doesn't he? Let me read those couple verses, beginning at verse 14. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? It really should say, and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear, that's Jesus Christ, without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Gathered. And the preaching of the word has a twofold effect, doesn't it? As it goes forth, it's a two-edged sword. It divides. By God's grace, it comes to his own, his elect. And it draws them to Christ Jesus. But that same word preached of Christ, him crucified, causes others to rebel in sin, in anger, in bitterness, and hatred against Christ and also his church. God gathers. He gathers in the line of our generations, and that's why we heard this sermon this morning about fathers make known to your children the knowledge of the truth. But when we read there, gathers... While he gathers in the line of generations, it doesn't mean it only stays with a certain group in their generations. But as God saves his people in heathendom or apostate churches, he saves them also in families. So parents come to believe, they hear that word, and they teach their children. And so there's more generations brought into the church. What a beautiful, beautiful church. Gathered in time. Gathered beginning with Adam and Eve. Made in the image of God. Children of God. They fell into sin. Redeemed by God. Given clean garments made through blood. From Adam and Eve all the way until Jesus Christ comes again. What a span of time that it is the church gathered, defended, preserved by God. And when we look at that church then, from the beginning of time to the end of time, there is the church triumphant, aren't they? All of us, have maybe a grandparent or great-grandparents that have passed on already. They have fought the good fight. 
They have run the race. And then God says, come home. They rest from their labors, we read in in Revelation 14, verse 13. They rest from their labors, and their rewards come to them. The church triumphant. Triumphant over sin, Satan through Christ Jesus. They rest from those labors. And then there's the church here on earth right now. Do you know what that's called? From essentials, young people, the church militant. Not the church at rest. Not the church in a lazy boy chair, doodling, twisting their thumbs, but militant. Ephesians chapter 6, there's a war going on. The devil and his host, the wicked world, as they hated Christ, Jesus hates the Christian. There's a beautiful hymn about that. Oh, Christian, dost thou see them standing on the holy ground? Do you see that wicked world? Do you see Satan wanting to divide this church, to lure you away? It is the Christian churches that Satan's after. He's going to finally come with the Antichrist who wants not only to get rid of Christ and faith in Christ, but he wants to be Christ in his stead. Oh, do you see those works of the devil and of the sinful world all around you, tempting, luring you, goading you into sin. Why does the Lord keep us here in this sinful world? Why doesn't he come tomorrow and deliver us? Well, because there's still more of the church, isn't there? There's the church latent. That is, the church that is still in the wombs of some of the mothers here in the church. Or there is those elect people in different nations or tribes that haven't heard the story of the gospel, haven't been confronted with Christ Jesus yet. Christ Jesus, by his word and by his spirit, calling them. And Christ cannot come. And Christ will not come until every one of those elect known to God alone have been born and have been saved. And it is only when the last of those have been born and have been saved that Christ will come again. What does that mean for the church I once said foolishly, it should almost be a fourth mark of the true church. That's not really what I meant. I was being exaggerating. It's really part of the first point of the church, isn't it? The first mark of the church. The pure preaching of the gospel. Not content with just having the pure preaching of the gospel for ourselves, but rather that the preaching of the gospel be promiscuous. That's the word that our confessions use. Usually when we think of that word promiscuous, it's in a bad sense of people that are sexually promiscuous, 
didn't mean that at all, but rather the preaching of the gospel sent wherever God opens up doors. The church is to be that light in the midst of this world. So the gathering of the church, very important in that word in our catechism, is the word of missions. Oh, how we need missionaries as well as pastors to bring the good news, to take that precious Reformed heritage that has been handed down to us so that others also may come to know it and love it like we do. The gathering chosen by God, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, gathered by his spirit and word, we read, agreeing in true faith. Agreeing in true faith. That's what unites us, isn't it? That faith that God himself gives to us in regeneration. That faith that is worked in us by the preaching of the gospel. That faith that is strengthened in us by the gospel and the sacraments. Together, saying, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Lord. That Christian church, yes, goes beyond denominational borders. There is false churches, yes, but there are also deformed churches. That means they don't agree with us in all of the different facets of our faith, and we can feel sorry for them. We could try to enlighten them. But together, a Christian church gathered and saved in Christ Jesus by his word and by his spirit. We read in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 and following, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and thou hast revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. What a description of us as sons and daughters of God, isn't it? The church members. Those babes given new life in Christ Jesus by the Spirit, being taught by him, being drawn to him, clinging to him, and preserved by him. That brings me to my second point then, the privilege of church membership. For notice how that first question and answer ends. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church of Christ? That the Son of God, from the beginning to the end of the world, gathers, defends, preserves to himself by his Spirit and Word, out of the whole human race, a church chosen to everlasting life, agreeing in true faith. Now these words. And that I am 
and forever shall remain a living member thereof. Those are precious words, aren't they? That is the invisible church of Christ Jesus, one church, a holy church, manifested in local congregations. So it's not picturing now what we are going to be someday when Jesus comes again. It's not looking for some kind of pot of gold at the end of a rainbow but it's describing what you and I, by faith, now are already and always will be. Because he preserves us and not anything in this world or even in death can separate us from the great love of God in Christ Jesus. Members of the church, not just adults, Thankfully, as churches, we do not have the practice where we send the little kids out when it's time for the sermon, saying, well, it's way above their heads. Boys and girls, listen to me, young people. You are very important members of the church. The moment of your baptism, you are made a member of Christ's church. And as you grow and as you understand the truths of God's word, finally you stand up and you say, it's not just my parents who love the Lord, but I love the Lord and I love these truths that are taught here in this church. So we have the baptized members, communicant members, and that's always the prayer of the church, isn't it? That when our baptized children come to those years of discretion they've been taught in the church, in the home, in the school, that they come and they make their own beautiful confession of faith in Christ Jesus and his church. But I want you to notice something else about this Lord's Day, how personal it is. Because when you and I say with the author of the catechism, that we believe in that church and that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. Not just others. That wouldn't help us, would it? But we, by God's grace, are members of that church. Not a matter of doubt. We don't go through life and say, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm really part of that invisible church. By the assurance of the Holy Spirit through God's word, we know we can have that assurance that we are God's children and that we are members of that church. How do we know it? Not by feelings, not by emotions. No, we know it by God's word, his infallible word. There are those who say that children can't know that for sure. Sadly, they bring their families up in doubt. No assurance of salvation until they finally experience something late in life. They say they can't know. 
we can know. We can know. We're not boasting in ourselves, but rather the grace of God worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit through the Word. A faith that is nourished, a faith that is strengthened, so that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're talking not only about the power of faith, but then we're talking about faith as an activity, aren't we? That's what James is talking about. You show me your faith, I'll show you my works. I've got a living faith. That's very evident that I'm nourished by Christ Jesus. I'm fed by his word, and therefore there is fruit hanging on the branches. And notice the words there. So first of all, I want to ask that question. Are you a member of the church? Are you glad you are a member of the church, whether by baptism or by confession of faith? Is it important, young people, to make confession of your faith? And does, Christ does say, confess before me. Confess me before men, and I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Deny me before men, and I will deny you before God. But an act of faith, where we live for Christ Jesus, we love him, we serve him. God gives that assurance to us. When we dutifully attend church, when we read his word, when we use the means of grace, when we live in obedience to his word, not in sin and rebellion, then there is that testimony then by our fellow saints. They know us as members of the church. But there's also this testimony, when the world hates you. Christ says, yes, they hate you because they hated me first. Living members, we read here, I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. That's an important word there. Because there are many branches on the tree that are dead and they are broken away and they are burned with fire, aren't they? They are the hypocrites in the church the reprobates that are also in the church. Dead branches. Boys and girls, what happened to that fig tree when Jesus was walking to Jerusalem and he was hungry and it had leaves on it which meant it should have had fruit on it but it had nothing. Jesus cursed that tree. And it died immediately. The disciples noticed it the next day and they said, wow, look. Am I a living member of the church? And am I a living member of the best or the truest church? Every church is imperfect. Every church has sinned. But that's why there are the marks of the church. There's many Christian churches, but are they really reformed by God's word and by God's spirit? 
Or is there a lot of false teaching that creeps up or improper administration of the sacraments? Many churches, it's left up to the individual. It's not guarded by the elders. Whoever wants to partake, if they feel it in their heart, they may do it. Many churches where there's absolutely no church discipline because, oh, they're so afraid if they would actually discipline a member. Am I a living member of a church that I believe has the purest preaching of the word, the proper administration of the sacraments, and Christian discipline is exercised? Personal assurance, but notice also then the preservation of that church. How important is that? We are gathered and we are defended and we are preserved. It's so important, beloved, because you and I are so weak and so fickle in ourselves. So often our eyes are blinded by the beauties of the world instead of looking at Christ Jesus. So many times our minds are all of a sudden centered on wrong thoughts instead of things that are from above. So many feet times our feet are tempted to go in wayward ways, that is the broad way, the easy way, rather than the difficult way of Scripture. But beloved, we are preserved because Christ says to us, as he said to Peter, Peter, I prayed for you. Remember when Peter was going to have that trial? When those young ladies would ask him, aren't you one of those of Jesus? Jesus had warned him before the cock crows. Jesus says, but I prayed for you, Peter. Think of that. We are preserved because Christ Jesus prays for those who are his. And by his spirit and by his word, he leads them and he corrects them and he instructs them. He calls them back to himself so that ours is an eternal and ours is an abiding membership in his church. The fifth head of the canons, don't they? They explain that preservation of the saints. Because election is sovereign and unchangeable. Because the death of Jesus Christ was not in vain. Because the intercession of Christ Jesus cannot fail because of the gift of the Holy Spirit and God's grace is effectually bestowed upon us. What a beautiful statement then. I shall forever remain a member thereof. Because it is Christ Jesus given to us by God he is the one in heaven who continues to instruct us. At times he warns us. He comes with admonitions to us. He trains us in godliness. How beautiful then are his exhortations to us to be faithful, to fight the good fight, to run the race that's set before you, 
we're able to do that because we are preserved by Christ's spirit and grace through his word. And I am a living member thereof. Think a moment, beloved, as the, Cat- as the Apostles' Creed continues to go on with the work of the Holy Spirit. What blessings flow to us. You and I are assured by the Spirit and the Word that though our sins are many in number, they are forgiven, they are blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ. And not only are our sins ripped away, but we're not standing there naked, but we are given a garment, a dazzling white garment. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. Amazing As our sins were ripped off from us and placed upon Christ Jesus, his righteousness is graciously clothing us. What a blessing. If one would ask you, who are you? How would you answer? Would you give them your name and then give them your occupation? I think that's usually how we go about it, isn't it? But does it really identify you? Shouldn't we answer rather, I'm a child of God. I'm a son or a daughter of God. I know him. I love him. I've been purchased by Christ Jesus. I'm indwelt with his spirit. What a blessing. And may we, in the communion of saints, look at each other that way. Our fellow son fellow sons and daughters in Christ of God. And the hope that's ours. We won't always have to fight the good fight. We'll not always have to run. I'm tired after I run two miles. But there comes an end to that race. The eternal hope that is ours We're not always going to be pilgrims and strangers in a sinful world. But the day is coming when Christ comes and he says to us, come home. Enter into the joys of your master. So the catechism ends really with the communion of saints. And when we say the Apostles' Creed, you'll notice that I usually don't pause there, do I? I believe in holy Catholic church, the communion of saints. They are one and the same. For even as we've been united to Christ Jesus, we're united together. We're his body. We're the various members of that body. And we can't do without each other. And so while there's many natural differences between us, different backgrounds, different homes, different colored skin, there's a rich diversity, but there is that one unity We are in Christ Jesus. And we live by faith. And we take that faith that God has worked in us and is strengthening us. And we live for him. And we live for one another. And that's why the catechism talks there about what is our responsibility. That all and everyone who believes being members of Christ are in common partakers of him and all of his riches and gifts. And secondly, that we know that it is to be our duty. How? 
I have to go to church. I have to meet with uh, the society. No, no. I have to give to kingdom. No. That I cheerfully and readily employ my gifts for the advantage and the salvation of our other members. So look at yourselves a minute this evening. Look carefully. We're not so many individuals just sitting here and then going home again and doing our own thing. We're a family. And we take that which God has given to us and we employ it, we use it for the benefit of one another. We're always asking, what can I do for this saint? How can I visit this saint? How can I encourage that saint? How can I admonish that saint? We don't live to ourselves. What is your place? What is my place in the congregation Members together of the one body of Christ Jesus. How can I build up? How can I encourage my fellow church members? With one calling. With one calling. And we find that in Psalm 84, don't we? That together we declare the glory of him who has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our calling is then to praise and to worship and to publish abroad God's saving grace. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the church of Jesus Christ. It is thy work. And we thank thee that by grace we are living members of it. Oh, Father, may thy word go forth with us so that this day in thy courts is better than any other day. And it encourages us then to live as thy children, as Christians. Amen.